Good morning. I was just uh, talking to Alan this morning. Uh, this uh, New Hope Christian Church was my very first full-time ministry. And that was like 17 years ago. Uh, I feel old. <laughs> um, and it, it was unbelievable. It's always so good to be back here. It's always so good to, uh, to be able to give you an update on, on my life, on the life of my family. My kids will be here uh, later on during the Sunday school time. My wife will, will be here too. Um, but it is, it's always so encouraging and awesome to be able to, to kind of go back to my roots and come back to where everything started for me in my uh, journey um, into where I am today. And this church played such a, an essential and important role in development of my faith and development of me as a pastor. And so thank you guys for allowing me. Thank you, Bill, for the opportunity to be able to share a little bit about what's going on in the Dominican Republic, and, and I think uh, what, uh, what can be happening here as well. Um, but before we start, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for today. I want to thank you uh, for the opportunity that we have to come uh, and to spend some time worshiping you. Dear God, we truly indeed live uh, in a chaotic world. Dear God, where up seems down and down seems up. Dear God, and it's hard to uh, kind of calibrate um, where we're going or what's happening, dear God. And in the midst of all that confusion, dear God, I pray that right here, right now, uh, we can settle our soul, we can settle our mind, and we can dive into your word, dear God, and, tr and, and calibrate ourselves to focus on what you're calling us to do, dear God. Thank you uh, for everything you've done. Uh, thank you for everything you continue to do. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, for those of you uh, uh, who don't know me, uh, most of you do, or heard stories about me, uh, my name, my, my stories do precede me sometimes. Uh, my name is Randy Caldwell. I am Drew Caldwell's older, wiser, more mature brother. Um, but, uh, and I, for the past uh, year, I have been the director of church planting for Go Ministries in the Dominican Republic. So my job is to plant churches, to, to raise up pastors, uh, to do a lot of training. We do some evaluation. But mainly, uh, my job is to plant churches. That's what my goal is to do. And we have a lofty goal, a big goal, uh, that sometimes feels insurmountable because our goal is to plant 1,000 churches in 10 years. And we are in year three of the 10-year plan. A thousand churches in 10 years. I wanted to plant a church, just one. I thought that was good enough, right? Plant a church uh, that can grow, uh, we can affect the community, do incredible things. But they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to plant a thousand churches in the time span of 10 years. And I know for a, lot of, for a lot of churches in the United States, for a lot of churches throughout the world, um, it's been a hard year. It's been a difficult year. Attendance has been down. A lot of churches, a record number of churches in the United States have closed their doors uh, because they just couldn't keep up with um, having their doors closed or people didn't come back. For whatever reason, they had to close their doors. Um, but I, I'm here to say it's been, it's been a blessing in the Dominican Republic. Um, and our goal of uh, planning a thousand churches, we went from 
before the pandemic with 84 churches. Um, and now, today we have 110 churches. So in the matter of a year time, during a time when everything's shutting down, we grew by 26 churches. Um, and that is such a blessing. It was, it, it's sometimes you know that a movement's happening, and we do believe it's a movement because it's hard to keep count. Because churches are being planted all the time. And, and churches are growing at, at an exponential rate uh, that is a blessing to be a part of. And so uh, what I get to do in the Dominican Republic, and this is what I love about this, is I get to see the kingdom grow in real time. Like it's happening literally before my eyes. One thing I've been hearing throughout this whole morning is, is, is this church's, New Hope Christian Church's sense or feeling for the lost. There is this palpable, multiple people have talked about it, shared this morning from the community meditation from the very beginning to Dave mentioning that in his prayer of this sense that we need to do something about the lost people in the world. And, and I feel like we are growing and planting churches at an unbelievable, healthy rate and seeing pastors being raised up, seeing Christians being baptized, seeing lives being transformed because the lost are coming to Jesus. And the beautiful part is it doesn't have to be confined to the Dominican Republic. It doesn't have to stay there. This is a worldwide movement that happened the moment Jesus started picking out his disciples saying, hey, come, follow me. And this morning, I would like to um, look over one of the most famous uh, commands, the very last command that Jesus gave us as he's getting ready to go into heaven, as he's saying goodbye to his disciples, he's like, I've got one last word for you. I've got one last lesson for you before I head out. And this is what he says. It's in uh, Matthew 28, and we call this the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, again, his disciples are all hanging out. Jesus is about to be lifted up in heaven. He said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything, uh, everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's the thing, uh, because I'm a church planter, it's kind of hard because Jesus never called us to plant churches. I know that can be confusing. You can look it up if you want. Jesus never called his disciples to plant churches. Jesus, Paul never commended the church to plant churches. There's no mention in the New Testament of any command or every teaching to say, go plant a church. It can be quite difficult as a church planter to justify my job of planting churches. And it would be easier if Jesus would have said something or Paul would have put a mention in there and say, hey, I want you to go. I want you to plant a church so we, we could have, I don't know, uh, maybe some biblical uh, thing to lean on when it comes to planting churches. But in my time at Go Ministries, and this, again, my plan was to plant a church. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I felt called to do. But in my time at Go Ministry, it, my mind and my thought process of what it looks like to plant a church has been has been changed. And I look at it differently now, and I'm inviting you guys this morning. I'm, I'm teaching you things that I've been taught. 
I'm inviting you guys this morning that if we look differently at the idea of church planting, if we look differently at the idea of spreading the gospel in a way that is, and it's an unstoppable movement, truly an unstoppable movement that allows us to see the church grow in real time. You see, oftentimes, when, if I say to you this morning, I'm going to go plant a church, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Where? Where are you going to go plant a church, Right? But see, Jesus never called us to plant a church. And sometimes we plant a church so that we can make disciples. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. You see a lot of new churches propping up in the New Testament, in Acts especially. Paul's going around, spreading the gospel, and you see churches popping up. Paul's writing letters to churches. Paul's sending letters to churches. Paul's talking about different churches. So there's this, there is new churches that are popping up. But we plant churches so that we can make disciples. And let me invite you to turn that back around on itself. That our calling was never to plant churches to make disciples, but our calling is to make disciples so that churches can be planted. That if we simply plant a church, put it in a location and have a building to bring people to it, and then we can make disciples, is putting the cart in front of the horse. That our calling is to first make disciples. And the fruit of making disciples is, guess what? A church. A gathering of Jesus-following believers. And I think this time more than ever has demonstrated that a lot of churches, a lot of churches have people that just attend Sunday morning. They don't necessarily have disciples, people that are dedicated to following Jesus. And I think that's where we see the numbers are, are in decline. Significant because we plant churches so that we can tell people about Jesus versus let's tell people about Jesus. And the fruit of that, the disciple-making process, is that more churches are planted. And so we at Go Ministries, our job is not to plant churches. Our job is to make disciples. We make disciples so that we can plant churches. So uh, what does it mean to make a disciple? I mean, it is the most basic commandment. I'm not the first one, nor am I going to be the last to ever preach a scripture saying, therefore, go and make disciples. It's a, it's a verse, it's a part of the Bible that's deeply embedded in our theology that we know this well. Then why, are, why isn't it something that we're, that we're better at? Why isn't it something that we do more often? Why isn't it something that we're talking about all the time? Go and make disciples, Jesus said. It's the, it's the last command of our, of, of, our, of our Jesus, of our Lord, of our Savior, of our commander-in-chief saying, look, before I go, I want to give you one last word. Go and make disciples of all nations. He was sending out his disciples to go make disciples. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, he's walking around. This is the very beginning of his ministry. And he says this in Matthew 4, 19. And probably most of you know this really well. Something that we teach our children. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. So what does it mean to make disciples? It means going up to people and saying, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We all know that Jesus isn't literally making Fishing men, right? Like he's not calling people to fish. But he's calling people to a greater calling. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And if we stick to these three simple things that Jesus said in his words to his disciples, I think that we can be a disciple-making movement. 
that can transform this entire area. I believe it because I see it happening. And I see it working in an area that's difficult, that's hard, that's not receptive. Maybe much like the United States today. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Mike shared this morning um, the foundation that children are the foundation of the church to come. And I will add to that the disciple making is the foundation of the church to come. That if we do not disciple well, and I don't mean attending church, I don't mean Bible study, I mean discipling. If we do not disciple well, there will be no church to come. There will be no next generation. And, I'm t- and it starts with VBS. I feel like I'm getting hit by this train. <laughs> it's startling. But there will be no church to come if we do not disciple well. And I think that's why more than ever in the United States, churches are closing at a record pace. Because we're planting churches, we're not making disciples. So again, what does it mean to make disciples? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At first, it starts with when Jesus says come. It's an invitation. One thing that we do well and one thing that we talk about in in, uh, church planting in the Dominican Republic and Go Ministries, we do a lot of one-on-one. We're so afraid to walk up to people and say, you know what, come. It starts with an invitation. We have this passive way like, well, I might invite them to church someday. I might, you know, we'll, we'll pray for them to come to church. But are you actually going up to people and say, come. Come here. Let's go. I'll go pick you up. Come. This one-on-one invitation, conversations that we're having with people, are we having those conversations? Are we just wishfully hoping that someday, some tragic event or some moment in their life, they'll fall on their knees and realize that they need Jesus and they'll come to church? And he's, um, forgive me, Andy? Seriously, my brother's name is Andrew and I couldn't think of Andy? Shame on me. And he said, he said he was cut hard by the idea that there's so many people that he hasn't reached out to. That if Jesus was coming today, he thought about all the people that wouldn't be joyful. And it starts with the idea of just simply reaching out to people and offering an invitation. Having that conversation with somebody. I wonder how many people you know today don't come to church because they've never been asked. Or they don't participate in a Bible study because they've never been asked. Come, come to my house. Come. Come to church with me this morning. Come. An invitation. Come. There is an intentionality about it. We cannot be frugal about this. We have to be, understand there is an intentionality about going up to someone, making that phone call, making that ask, having that conversation. Come. I'm inviting you into something instead of passively waiting for them to turn their own life around. Come. One of the things that we have that we teach our seminary students at Go Ministries is the I see in you conversation. Have you guys ever heard of the I see in you conversation? Where, where, we, where you have an intentional one-on-one conversation with somebody and you say, I see in you this. And it starts off with that. When you're talking to someone, when you're meeting with someone, say, I, I see in this. I see this in you. I see in you this quality, that quality. And so in our seminary classes, we actually invite our students to come and practice this because it can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult to have an intimate conversation with someone. Sometimes we're so good at social media and texting, but we're terrible at face-to-face. 
and so uncomfortable and so hard for us to actually communicate these days that we invite our students to come up and say, have this conversation. There's, there's, one, there's one time in particular I remember um, we have uh, this guy named Pablo that uh, is uh, a seminary, oh, was a seminary student. He now is leading our pr- prison ministry in the Dominican Republic. And over the past uh, four years, he's baptized over 500 inmates. And I've, I have a million stories to tell about this guy. But the, the marking quality of him is he's probably the, the humblest, most unassuming person you'll ever meet. He's never up front. He's always in the back cleaning stuff up, washing dishes, um, taking care of things. He's never up front. He's not charismatic. Rarely do you ever see him preach. Or he's just always kind of behind the scenes doing things. And so even in seminary, he, he, was, he was always kind of shy and kind of sitting in the back and, and never at the front of class, never really raising his hands and answering questions. He was always just serving quietly. And so one time they said, hey, we're going to practice this I see in you conversation. So uh, it was, it was uh, somebody's turn, Elvis's turn, and then he invited Pablo to come up and sit in the chair. And he says, I want to have this conversation with you. The, this is what I see in you. And he started rattling off, I see in you a servant. I see in you someone's humble. He goes, I see in you Jesus. And Pablo started crying, just bawling. The whole class started to cry. And you know what Pablo said? He says, I never knew that about myself. I feel like I'm the least qualified person to be here. Pablo has single-handedly baptized more people than anyone in our ministry. Times I can't even tell you. Over 500 people in four years. Do the math. 365 days a year. How many, how many often does he baptize somebody? baptizing and lives are being unbelievably transformed by the work that he's doing and he's not on front preaching charismatic he's just quietly serving from behind and the inmates see that and people see that and Pablo would have never taken that first step if somebody never had that conversation with him saying hey you know what I see in you I see you in the potential to lead an entire movement that's going to revolutionize how people do ministry in prisons we went from one prison to now we're in nine in the matter of a couple years, growing exponentially, reaching out, transforming prisoners. Do you know what we teach in prisons? Homiletics. You know what homiletics is? It's a class on how to preach. We teach prisoners homiletics. That blows my mind that we're teaching a college-level course in prison to teach prisoners how to preach the gospel. That's all started because Pablo decided on his motorcycle to start going to prisons and reaching out to the lost. And it all started because someone was willing to have that conversation of, I see in you. I can tell you story after story after story of people stepping out and saying, you know what? I see in you this. Have those conversations with people. Be intentional about inviting people and saying, you know what? I see in you this potential. I see in you this greatness. I see in you this leadership ability. I see in you a servant's heart. I see in you humility. I see in you grace. I see in you a love that transforms other people. Come with me. Come with me. I think so many times... Uh, to make that right invitation, we're waiting on the perfect people to show up. Wouldn't it be nice if we had like some kind of indication, like an arrow over somebody's head saying, invite this person, ask this person to come. Jesus didn't have that. How many of you guys watch Chosen, the TV show? 
you guys not that many? I'm, I'm surprised. It's like everyone talk. I, I haven't seen it yet. But, but I, it's, a, it's a very popular show about Jesus and his disciples. And um, one, of the, one of the incredible things that you learn about you know, just reading the Bible is that these were far from perfect people. These were not the cream of the crop. These were not even the JV team. These, these are the kids that didn't get picked after the kids that didn't get picked after the kids that didn't get picked at the very bottom. These were the worst of the worst. These were people that you couldn't make work. If, if, I mean, these were not easy people. These were, I mean, just spend time reading the New Testament. These guys were dense from the get-go. Jesus is literally talking to them and telling them what's going on. They're like, I don't get it. Really? It was so hard for them to understand. And so, so many times we wait for the perfect person or the perfect candidate to come by and say, I want, I choose you. I want you to come. I'm going to invite you when we're letting people just simply walk on by us. And Jesus didn't wait for the perfect person to come along. He says, let me pick the, the, the most ragamuffin group I can possibly find to tell Christians in the future. You don't have to have a perfect group to start off with. If you read even right before Jesus is sending them off, this is at the very end after they've seen all the miracles, after they've seen everything. This is what happened. Um, then the 11, this is verse 16, then the 11 disciples went because, remember, he lost Judas. So he wasn't, even Jesus didn't get all 12. Then he lost, um, then 11 disciples went to Galilee in the mountainside where he had, where, um, he had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Really? You saw Jesus. Do all the miracles, heal people, walk on water, transform things, do unbelievable, crazy acts. You see him die on a cross, resurrect from the grave. You witness this firsthand. And then still some doubted? That's the group Jesus was dealing with. What are we waiting for? The perfect candidate? Jesus took these 12 people and transformed an entire world with this revolutionary calling to follow Jesus. So the first part is invitation, come. Second part is follow me. And this is by far the hardest part. This is where most of us, including myself, we have to take a hard look in the mirror and say, this one is by far the most difficult, where a lot of us want to give up because it's so difficult. And we say, come, follow me. It's an invitation to an action. Actually, if I could go back and redo this, I would say invitation and then imitation. Because it sounds better as a preacher. I have to think of the last one because it's not an I. But invitation and imitation. Come, follow me. But what are we inviting people to do? You see, in the world and when it comes to jobs, when it comes to colleges, they know this really well because it's what we call an internship where you go to a specific job that you have and you follow somebody who's doing that job. Doctors do this all the time. It's called residency, where you go and you follow certain doctors and doctors will witness a surgery. Uh, they'll, they'll help out the main surgeon. And sometimes the surgeon was like, you know what? You go and you do the surgery and I'm going to watch you. Because we do this often in career making. It's like, come follow me. Imitate me. Watch the things that I do. And that's what Jesus called the disciples to do. He says, you know what? For the next three years, they didn't know it was three years, but for the next three years, come and follow me. Just watch me. And along the way, 
Jesus walked around meeting people. He did ministry. He challenged their worldview. He touched the untouchable. He ate with sinners. He had dangerous conversations with the religious leaders. He taught them how to pray, how to fast, how to trust in God. He taught them the hard truth about sin, how to live a set-apart life, a life that sold out for God and his plan. He dealt with egos. He dealt with insecurities. He dealt with depression. He dealt with doubt and loss and pride and pain and confusion. Jesus lived life with his disciples 24-7 for three years saying, just follow me, imitate me, do the things that I do. But here's the problem, and here's, here's what gets me every time and to this day. Do I live a life worth following? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, do I live a life worth following? If I opened up my life, if I allowed everyone in this church, if I allowed myself to be vulnerable and I opened up my life to everyone here and say, look at how I live my life, what would you say about me? The way I talk to my wife sometimes. The way I get mad and lose my temper with my kids and yell at them when I shouldn't. The way sometimes I drive and I'm angry and I assume the worst in the person in front of me because they cut me off. It's not right, right? Could you just, like, if you're going to be in the left lane, just pass them and be done? Don't just hang out there? Can we, that's, I, that's my pet peeve every time. Or people, when they tailgate me, my goodness, I want to slam on my brakes every time. <laughs> right? But we have these, maybe how I'm talking to the casual. I'm in a hurry, and I'm at Walmart, and I want to get out. Or when I'm at, when I'm eat, going out to eat sometimes, and they get your food wrong, and you're angry, and you're hangry, and you're upset, and you don't know why they got your food wrong, and you want to take your anger out on people. Would we be okay if we opened up our lives and allowed other people to see it? Or are we too ashamed so we keep that door closed and say, you know what, better yet, go follow somebody else. I don't live a life worth following. Because as a follower of Jesus, it's not our job just to follow Jesus, but to invite people to come and follow us. It's an invitation to imitate what you live in your life. It's an invitation of imitation. Do you live your life in such a way that people could follow you? Do you follow Jesus in such a way that people could follow you? This is what, uh, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Could you say that? Could you live that? Follow me as I follow Christ. And most of us, yeah, sure, we could say that, but it takes an intentionality and a hard work and a vulnerability that rarely people have to truly say, I'm going to open up my life to somebody else, every aspect of my life, and allow them to come eat at my dinner table, um, allow them to come see how I do my work, how I interact with people, how I drive, how I do ministry, how, how I reach out, come and follow me. And this is the beautiful part of the pastors, is that what, that's what they do. The pastors in the Dominican Republic say, come follow me. Watch me do ministry. Watch me baptize people. Watch me marry people. Watch me bury people. Watch me do funerals. And I'm going to invite you to come and do the same thing. Follow me. One of, our, one of our pastors, and, and I hope someday that you guys get to meet him. He is 
unbelievable, the work that he does. And he's the director of our seminary, but he has two vehicles. And you know what he calls them? Ambulance one and ambulance two. Because when something happens in the community, he is literally the first call. They don't even call 911. They call him. I'm not kidding. And there are times when he, people have had uh, wounds where they've been bleeding in his car. And he's like, I got this. I'll clean it out. And he invites someone, his apprentice, his disciple, come and watch me do ministry. Watch me serve the people in the community I'm in. Follow me on an ambulance ride in my car. Because the ambulance isn't going to make it in time. And we can take people to the hospital. Ambulance one and ambulance two. Do we live a life worth following? And I'm not going to call anybody out. I just want you to think about it. If you could hold up a mirror to your own life, the way you interact with people, the way you live your life, your devotion to Jesus, do you live a life worth following? And here is my last point. An invitation, an imitation, and the last part is a transformation. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you. There's this promise of, in the end, of come, follow me, watch the things that I do, see me in action. I will teach you all the things you need to know, and then I will pass that on to you. And there's this transformation that happens when his disciples leave Jesus. Sure, some of them doubted, and some of them struggled. Even afterwards, even until the Holy Spirit came, there was a constant transformation. I've been a Christian since I was 10 years old. I, uh, my father baptized me in our, na- in our neighbor's pool. And even till that point, even up till now at 41 years, I mean, I'm still being transformed. I'm not done yet. I'm in a constant set of changing, of giving over what I want for what Jesus wants. This is a lifelong pursuit of transformation. But when Jesus spent time with his disciples, the end result was transformation. To invite people into your life and saying, I want to transform you. I want to change you. And that what happens at the end of this transformation is that they themselves become disciple makers. Jesus said when he picked them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The whole point wasn't that, okay, come follow me and we'll just stay this cool group of, of 12, 11 now because one of them, one of them left. But he says, I'm going to turn you into disciple makers. Come follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. At the end, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching the Teaching, and verse 20, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Everything I poured into you, now you go pour into someone else. And that's how this chain reaction starts. That's how Christianity today is in the billions because 11 guys decided to pour themselves into other people. That it doesn't stop with us. The way the new, um, the, the foundation of the church to come is going to come is if we pour ourselves into people that pour themselves into people. This is what Paul said. Paul had Timothy and Titus. He had other people, but famously Timothy and Titus. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Then you, my son, and this is Paul's disciple. This is someone who Paul walked with. He picked out. He had that conversation of, I see in you some greatness. You were raised by your grandma and your mother. I see in you greatness. I'm going to bring you with me. Come follow me. He was Paul's disciple. Then you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And get this part. And the things that, I, that you have learned from me, that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Did you get that? 
He goes, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So let me, let me get this straight. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy is to teach other people that teach other people. You see what Paul is trying to tell Timothy? Paul is saying, the things you have heard me say in front of many witnesses, the things that I have poured into you, the things that Jesus poured into Paul, the things that Paul poured into Timothy, Timothy, I want you to pour those in to other people that will in turn teach other people. Paul is telling Timothy, go make disciples. Just like I saw greatness in you, I picked you out and I said, come, follow me. I'll show you how to do ministry. And Timothy followed Paul around and learned all these things. Though he was sent to um, Ephesus to do the work when Paul wasn't able to be there. Teach these things, pass these things on. And for a thought experiment, this is, I promise, I'm almost done. For a thought experiment, I, I want to, what would it look like for one person to have two disciples? One person to have two, this is, we can, we can skip that. I, I forgot about that. One person to have two disciples. So if you today poured yourself into two people for two years, two years, you decide I'm going to dedicate myself to two people, just two people. Jesus had 12, he lost one 11. I figure we could probably handle two, right? He's the savior of the world, the creator of all things, eternal. He can get 12, we can get two. So if you pick two people in your life right now that you could pour yourself into for two years, nonstop, you're constantly teaching them, come follow me, watch me do ministry. When you're singing up Sunday, it will follow me, watch. This is how I prepare the songs. This is how I get up in the morning and, and I prepare on Sunday morning. This is how I prepare a sermon. Come watch me prepare a sermon. Do the things that I do. And one of these, I'm going to let you preach. This is, how, uh, this is how I lead the youth group. This is how I prepare. This is the hard conversations. You know, I had this hard conversation with somebody. This is how I deal with this topic specifically. Come, follow me. Watch me do what I do. And I'll let you then take it over. Two years. You pour into this person nonstop. Then that would turn, after two years, it would turn into nine people. Or I guess three people that would... You take six more people, and then two more years, four years total, you'd have nine people. So you'd go from one person pouring themselves into two people, three people pouring themselves into six more people. You have nine people total. And uh, two more years, or after six years, after six years, you'd have 27 disciples. 27 disciples. And you're like, oh, that's not that many. But as people continue to pour themselves into people, go ahead, the next slide. After 10 years, you'd have 243 disciples. Just spent two years pouring yourself into people, and then those people pouring themselves into other people, and then them pouring themselves. And then after, uh, after 16 years, you would have 6,561 disciples. Now do you see how we're going to plant a thousand churches in 10 years because we believe in this process of multiplication, this idea of discipleship where we disciple people that plant churches. And after, after 18 years, we'd have 19,683 people that were deciding 
to follow Jesus, disciples of Jesus. And if we give ourselves a little bit of grace, and we say, you know what, I can't lead somebody in two years. Jesus said three years. In 27 years, you would have almost 20,000 people. How many people live in Vincennes? 11,000? You'd have the entire city of Vincennes saved. Disciples of Jesus. So if we burn as a church for the lost, if we take seriously the calling of Jesus to disciple people that disciple people, then what would it look like for New Hope to do that? I was talking to my brother yesterday, and there was an average attendance of maybe 150, 150, 200 people around there. So what if, what if, just for number's sake, we have 50 people that were dedicated to discipling? 50 people here that were passionate about reaching out to the lost, that were passionate about reaching out to people, not just in name, but you say, you know what? I'm going to make an invitation. I'm going to say, I see in you. I'm going to have that one-on-one conversation with two people and say, come follow me for the next couple of years. I'm going to pour into you every second of every day. I'm going to call you. We're going to meet. We're going to hang out. We're going to do ministry together. And then after two years, I want you to go and make other disciples. After two years, you would go from 50 to 150 people. After four years of doing ministry, only 50 people here at New Hope Christian Church, you would have 450 people. 450 people, and not just any people, but it would, it would be 450 people that have been poured into, that have been led, that have been discipled, that are passionate, not just about hearing and following Jesus, but also pouring into other people. And let's fast forward um, uh, six years 1,300 people in six years. In eight years, 4,050 people. And finally, in 10 years, 12,150 people. Could you imagine? This church couldn't contain 12,000 people. You know what you would have to do? You'd have to plant new churches. You see how that happens? We don't plant churches to make disciples. We make disciples to plant churches. If 50 people, 50 people, from New Hope Christian Church, we're vulnerable enough, dedicated following Jesus enough to say, come and follow me. Do what I do. Imitate me as I follow Jesus. What we've all been called to do, only 50 people. Then in 10 years, 12,000. I mean, if, if you did, I'm, I'm terrible at math. Jenna, you're, you're much better at math. Than, at 12, 000, what would 12,000, I'm really bad at math. 12,000 people, if we had 200 people in each church, how many churches would that be? Quickly, someone with 6,000 6, churches? 200 people. Six churches? No. It'd be 200 people, 200 people, just 200 people in each church. 60 churches. You guys in 10 years could plant 60 churches. 200 people. That's, that's, a, that's a good church size. 200 people. Could you imagine if New Hope, the church on Bridgeport, Illinois, became the initiator of a church planting movement just because they took the calling of Jesus seriously to go and make disciples? 10 years. 60 churches. So now I just want to give you a glimpse of how we're going to plant 1,000 churches in 10 years because we're going to make disciples. I encourage you. Right now we're going to end whoever do we have the invitation song. I'm going to encourage you. Who are two people in your life right now that you could pour into? Who are two people? And I pray that the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you alone. I pray that he keeps you up at night, sometimes with thunder. 
thinking about who in my life can I pour into? Who is in my life right now that I can say, come, follow me. Come, let me show you what I do. Come, eat at my table. Come, let's hang out together. Come, let's go shopping together. Come, let's go farming together. Come, let's do work together. Whatever it may be, come and follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And I will turn you into a disciple that will in turn make disciples. That's how the world is going to be saved. And I think that if we keep multiplying that out, it turns into like 8 billion people in, what, 40 years? You can say the entire world. The church here. New Hope Christian Church, Bruce Pearl and I, could save the entire world in 40 years if they wanted to by making disciples. It's bananas to think about. But I believe it's possible because I believe that's what Jesus called us to do. And he ends it with this, and I will too. I will be with you. I know it's hard, but I will be with you till the end of the age. I'm with you throughout the whole journey. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you out to dry. I'm not going to let you do this all by yourself. I'm going to be with you when you do this. I believe it's possible not because I'm great, not because I'm spectacular. I believe it's possible because I think he is great, because he is spectacular. And what he has called us to do, I'm going to be obedient to it to the very end.